Hi guys and welcome to Common Ground with Sean, episode 8. Great to have you for another episode. Just wanted to give a bit of a precursor to this episode. I'm talking with my great friend Will Deegan who lives in Sydney, Australia and he's working currently for a point of sale company called Counter which is just killing it worldwide right now. So what we talk about in this episode today is sustainability in restaurants, definitely relating to things like food and menu development. We also talk about service standards within restaurants and where they're at at the moment in, in regards to automation and also fit outs and how important a fit out is for a restaurant these days. So really hope you enjoy the episode and let me know what you think. Cheers. All right, everyone, welcome to episode eight of Common Ground with Sean. So excited for today because we have back, and when I'm here back for the second time round, second recording, Will Deegan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Sean. Great to be here. Awesome. So we're just sitting in a little, um, a little office space in Surrey Hills in Sydney. So this is good. This is the first um, outside broadcast we've ever done. Um, so that's pretty fun. Um, Will, just for the common grader audience, let's give yourself a bit of a synopsis of uh, how we know each other. It's been um, three or four years that we've known each other, I think. So it's a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just about how we know each other and then, uh, and then about what you're doing currently. Yeah, good, good, uh, good start. Uh, so we know each other from, uh, from our days in Grilled, which, yeah, I think it's been around four yeah, years now. Yeah, it feels now. about that time. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. seems about that long. Um, and yeah, so we worked together over in Grilled in WA mm-hmm. uh, before I moved uh, back over to the Eastern Seaboard about two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where we know each other from. <laughs> since, since then, though, I've uh, spent some time working with uh, some cafe groups um, in Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, helping them get up and running, mm-hmm. uh, and most recently joined the tech firm Counter, doing hospitality pause. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's my most recent. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want me to go a little bit further back? No, no, no. Well, actually, well, I want to talk about Counter in a second, but yeah, if you did want to go further back, because obviously you're, you're a pretty young character, you're a tiny bit younger than me. Um, heavily more successful which is a good thing that is a lot um but i know you've got 15 years experience in the business right so why don't you tell the audience sort of how you came to the point you are now where you're part of a point of sale uh organization which is killing it in the australian and overseas markets like how how did you get to that point before you met me at grilled and obviously life changed for the better yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I started in the industry back when I was a much younger man. Um, so I started with McDonald's, as everyone kind of does. So mm-hmm. born and bred Melbourne. Uh, so grew up down in, uh, down in Mornington. Um, so started with uh, McDonald's, as I said, and also working at a local fish and chip shop, which is, um, you know, everywhere the fish and chip shops down there. Mm-hmm. So spent about five years uh, working with those guys yep. uh, before uh, taking up an offer to uh, work with a hotel group in Melbourne, okay. um, doing auditing um, and some shift management with them. Okay. Uh, and then moved across to Perth, worked with Grilled for a couple of years over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved, uh, yeah, moved back to Sydney, uh, so I moved back to Melbourne to do some light consulting work. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent some time with uh, Michael Page, launching a hospitality recruitment division. Mm-hmm. Uh, then most recently, I guess time in the field, working in the cafe space. Uh, launching Rosies into the Sydney market, so pretty eclectic mix of uh, of brands mm, and experiences. Very different, but uh, yeah, and that's kind of I guess a a succession of 
random decisions got me here today. <laughs> so I guess you look at your breadth of experience when you take it from being um, you know, a burger flipper, for want of a better term, at McDonald's and then going into hotels. And I know you've done ski fields as well. And obviously back with Grilled and, and into point of sale integration and, and recruitment as well. Like, do you have something which stands out to be your biggest change for the better for you to sort of open your eyes? And the reason why I ask that is a lot of people who are in, who come into hospitality will leave after three or four years and use it as sort of a part-time job. But you've been able to really use it as a career for that period of time. I know you will for many more to come and you've been able to pivot into different roles. So is there something which sort of was a highlight for you in that? Yeah, definitely definitely a couple of different points there. I mean, when I started in McDonald's, you know, I met with some, thankfully, some really good people who, mm-hmm. who gave me some amazing opportunities. I was running my first restaurant when I was uh, 19. Thankfully, mm-hmm. they thought I was much older, so got away with that one. <laughs> um, but through, through meeting like some pretty amazing people, so Laura and Steve, I guess my earliest mentors, mm-hmm. kind of really helped me develop my management skill set and how I, how I looked at you know, dealing with people, which hospitality is 100% a people industry. Yes. And that put me on the path where the decisions I've made have been heavily, or at least at the start, you know, heavily around engaging customers and, and really driving that for both staff that I work with uh, and also the, you know, the customers that I serve. And I think it's been a pretty, pretty central kind of concept for the decisions that I've made. Um, to kind of stay in a, in a customer facing mm-hmm. you know, industry, whether it's hospitality or whether it's slightly more you know, removed, as in what I'm doing at the moment in the kind of tech hospitality space, mm-hmm. and still you know, serving customers and uh, yeah. Still living the hospitality dream. Living the hospitality dream. So what do you think, obviously with your role now with Counter and you're able to see a lot of different um, venues every day. What are you seeing as some of the big trends that are happening in the either fast casual space or in the or in the premium casual space um, in sort of Sydney and Melbourne, where I know you mostly reside? Yeah, good question. So I mean, there's obviously in the last you know ten to fifteen years, mm-hmm. Australia's seen like the biggest boom in in casual dining. Mm-hmm. We've gone from pretty average food offering in the early thousands mm-hmm. to you know grilled opening up probably one of the biggest game changers mm-hmm. um, obviously in 2004 then a massive swarm of you know big casual dining Mexican places 2006 2008 mm-hmm. uh, to the industry now which is ridiculously fluid you know we're seeing mm-hmm. the the big guys you know the the rock pools and the, the CPS of obviously for Sydney reference there for you sure. closing their doors this year mm. um, and everyone kind of shifting down into that into that casual dining premium casual mm-hmm. um, space. So that's obviously as you said you know biggest shift uh, that the industry's seen in the last couple of years. Sure, but that industry is definitely driven by you know really good customer engagement, amazing you know uh, staff, mm-hmm. and then obviously a sustainability in. Uh, you know, in produce, sure. and, you know, getting good provador in, in those ingredients. And I think mm-hmm. they're, those three points are what define the industry for the last couple of years sure. and is going to continue pushing and defining it for the next couple. Okay. One, I, had a, I did a blog post the other week about how big should your menu be, right? So you would be the benefit of seeing a lot of different menus across a, different, a number of different brands. Do you... Where do you, how many items, not how many items, but how big do you think people's menus should be if they're in a, if they're in a restaurant environment in a, in a, either a fast casual or a premium fast casual restaurant in Australia? I think we've seen, you know, the, the people who, you, you go into a restaurant and if you've got 
like 10 pages of menu, mm. yeah, well and truly you know, too many. <laughs> if I can pick it up and look at it, you know, maybe two-sided, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with life. And mm-hmm. I think it's a balance between what we can, how we can sustainably source and manage inventory yep. across a giant menu, yes. uh, as well as you know, being able to manage it from like a staff point of view. Yes, know. of course. There's more menu items you know, obviously as you, you're well aware, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the difficulties to run a kitchen, to run a front of house, everything mm-hmm. gets more complicated the more items you, you run. Mm-hmm. So you know, the general kind of cafe, you go into any cafe in Melbourne, like maybe 10 menu items. Yes. And that's it. Coffee, yep. 10 menu items, mm-hmm. easy to easy produce, success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a really poignant point because I think it's one of the probably biggest mistakes that hospitality owners make is is to make too broad a menu to try and basically please every customer that comes in their doors. Something that especially happens with bigger brands as they scale because they realise they hit dem- different demographics. So I appreciate your thoughts there. I think that's really important. The other thing I was going to ask you is just about about design. I know we've touched on this before, but obviously you've been in different types of restaurants and stuff like that as well. You're seeing different designs play out in restaurants and cafes across Australia. I know that the market in Melbourne is pretty saturated at the moment with really expensive fit-outs. I know that's happening all across the East Coast too. What do you think, um, what are you sort of seeing as a design aspect in Australia that's probably winning right now? I think we're going going back to being like super simple. Mm-hmm. So the big push, big design trend of the last you know ten years has been concrete floors, metal chairs, and wooden tables. Yep. And it's had a pretty good run. Yes. Um, and it's a little bit overdone. Yep. Um, but it's still just about going back to you know finding finding the niche of your of your venue and then just tailoring to that. Mm-hmm. So you know if if you're going to be a you know vibrant, healthy, casual place, you mm-hmm. know. Go get get that greenery and get the lots of natural wood, lots of glass, lots of you know visible, able to touch the food almost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but if you're you know more of a nightclub, dark lights for sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, just being able to tailor it and keeping it keeping it simple. You can't no no one can afford million dollar fit outs anymore. Do you th- do you think some brands are still doing design for design's sake? For sure. That um, you know it's definitely going to happen as we look at. You know, Chin Chin opened in Sydney a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and they're designed to their hilt. Yes, um, but it's definitely playing to that demographic mm. that they're going for. Absolutely. Super trendy, super modern. Mm. That's yeah. Are you seeing many startup brands that you might come into contact with doing that same that same thing? I think Chin Chin can get away with it because they're very an established brand, and they've definitely pushed push the bar with like their, their pink bunny and all that kind of all that kind of thing which really works for them right yeah so it's important for them to be a stylized brand because they're very design focused uh, and centric but are you seeing that happening in in just normal not, not pop-ups but startup brands I think what we're seeing is that we're seeing design trends being pushed through those startups so I'm a big uh, big believer of you know really capturing the the, the concept of the design trends around uh, ambience, around you know temperature controls, making sure your restaurant's not too hot, too cold, making sure the music's at the right volume, making sure you're not you know, blasting everyone's eardrums, but yep. you can still hear it, yep. uh, making sure the lighting's appropriate. Mm-hmm. So really capturing those, you know, those those trends, yes. um, and then really implementing those into cafes. Absolutely, 
you know, coming across as we're seeing, you know, big design awards for um, hospitality fit outs, higher grounds, obviously from uh, yes from Europe down in uh, down in Melbourne or like mm-hmm. Kitty Hawk and Mjolnir up in Sydney are both you know all one kind of design awards over the last couple of years for just really easy basic fit outs, um, just kind of encapsulating those kind of trends. Mm-hmm. Going back to going back to menu again. Um, obviously, there's a there's a lot of different trends that, that come through. Some have a really short um, uh, lifespan. Some have a have a longer lifespan. If you look like a sector like sushi or salads or something like that, it's that a, has been able to become now a cuisine rather than just a a fad, so to speak. Mm-hmm. What do you what kind of ingredients are you seeing that are that are coming through on menus, especially in Sydney, that you think uh, what what are, what are, what are, sorry I'll rephrase the question what are cafes and restaurants trying to do with their menus uh, inside of Sydney in order to make themselves different we're definitely seeing like a push for sustainability yep. and for provador ingredients mm-hmm. so it's not so much as this is a meat patty this is a, you know this is a meat patty it's cool climate it's grass fed it's from Joe's farm down the road yeah. this is here the cow's name was George yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> you know it's not going to be too too much longer until we see like you know single origin cold pressed milk yes. on the horizon without this a doubt is, you know this is daisy there is no milk. doubt that it will happen and yes. it's you know it's, it's doable from a from a technology point of view the technology mm-hmm. exists from a you know obviously health control point of view but mm-hmm. really easy to track from a farming point of view as well mm-hmm. but being able to see that sustainability and really making it forefront in the mind of customers is is what we're about you know we're, we're pushing to get better better um you know sustainable farming for a community and then being able to market that to our customers is really important you know food is spent way too long being you know under underpriced and under delivered and now we need to really as an industry make that a, make that a massive awareness push what do you think consumers are asking for that now I think it's both partly they are asking for it, but also more probably the answer is that they didn't know that it was an option before. Mm. So a great example, you know, there's a massive amount of Angus cattle in Australia. And then a couple of years ago, probably about 10 years ago now, McDonald's did a massive marketing campaign around Angus beef. Yes. There was always, always Angus existed. beef. Always existed, yes. And it was never, <laughs> it was never as, uh, as premium as, as people thought it was. Yes. But they didn't know they wanted it. Yes. But it is a, it is a great cut of meat. Mm. Um, but being able to make awareness around, you know, around a particular breed, a particular you know, sustainable type of farming methodology, which obviously you know, grilled back in our days, um, championed quite a lot, mm. you know, going for grass-fed over grain-fed, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, sustainable etc um, massive push that we need to drive as I guess industry more than you know, customer awareness it's not that high at the moment yes so what I'm, I guess what, why I ask that question is what I'm getting not confused with to some degree but what I'm seeing is are brands pushing particular ingredients or products that have always had those terms like organic or like free range or sustainable or paddock to plate and all that kind of thing when it always existed and is it a marketing push or is it an actual change in focus in the way that we actually produce ingredients now uh, how we farm now is there actually a dramatic change and shift in how produce is actually delivered to consumers by way of restaurants and cafes or has that always been the case and it's just a little tweak here and there and it's just a good a really good marketing ploy in order to take a 
what would be a middle level brand into a premium brand with a higher price. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, mate, it's, it's definitely going to happen and there's definitely brands that are, that are doing that. But I think mm-hmm. it's also a case of, you know, chicken or the egg, which came first. Yes. So we've yes. pushed and we've marketed for free range chickens, mm-hmm. uh, free range chickens, free range eggs. And that's suddenly become a, a shift massive um, mm-hmm. chains have started jumping on the bandwagon for, you know, we'll only source free range eggs now. So it's yes. forcing the market to, to, to adjust change. and adapt. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for the for the honest you know belief that you know look at fruit and veg when you go to the big supermarket change only the last couple of years is you know Woolworths for example started advertising their odd bunch fruit and veg yes. when we know that you know millions of tons of fruit and veg get wasted mm-hmm. every year and there's mm-hmm. you know, insert story here there's you know billions of people starving on yes. the other side of the world so yes. it's never a lack of lack of supply but it's a lack of you know awareness and you know, lack of you know understanding from, mm. from customers. We're not going to be able to change that now, but we can definitely raise that as mm-hmm. an industry that serves food, serves beverages, and serves customers. It's mm-hmm. a good point. Very good point. And I think there are obviously brands like Odds Harvest and, and, and brands like that, which are doing a great amount in the food space and trying to work with food brands to really close that sustainability loop. But God, there's a, there's a long way to go. Yeah. There's such a long way to go. Um, all right, so we've really uh, we've really talked about menu a bit there and about and about food offerings and that kind of stuff. I really want to understand what you're feeling on the staff experiences like in restaurant. We both know that's extremely important. I'm very much of the belief of you are that I'm more likely to go back to a cafe or a restaurant with good service rather than just good product mm-hmm. um, because I want to be engaged, I want to have a, a, a good experience, I want to be happy when I walk out the venue, that's really, really intrinsically important and that comes from a really good team. Where do you think the staff experience, uh, the customer experience by way of staff is going in Australia because I've just spent a couple of weeks in America, they're mm-hmm. about to go from an $8 wage to an $18 wage an hour in the next two to three years which is dramatically going to affect how many people they can have engaged with customers on the floor. Where in Australia, we've had that for a long period of time now. Where do you see the customer engagement going in Australia? I think it's when I, well, when I started in management, again, you know, one of those lessons I learned from McDonald's was that you know, you've got, always got two types of customers. You've got internal customers, your staff, and you've got external customers, which obviously, mm. you know, your guests in your restaurant. I like that. And yeah, absolutely. It's a very mm. poignant, you know, kind of, mm. kind of example. Mm. And I think you, you can't possibly hope to have good customer engagement if you treat your staff badly. Yes. And, you know, underpay them. You know, there's obviously been a rife of um, news over the last couple of years of, sometimes big hospitality venues, yes. you know, underpaying staff pretty dramatic, mm. you know, drastically. Mm. Um, and, you know, as it is, our industry is going through a pretty decent shortage. Mm-hmm. And the stats are anywhere up to 100,000 front of house and back of house, you know, staff shortage over the next, you know, two to five years, which is it's insane, astronomical compared mm. to where our growth of the industry is projecting. Mm. Uh, you know, we're getting bigger, we're getting more and more staff we can't hire. Mm-hmm. Um, then obviously, you know, insert the, uh, you know, the government changes of, you know, four, five, sevens, et cetera, which yes. adds another level of complexity there. But mm. we need to really be, be hiring the right people. You know, anyone, anyone in hospitality who's, you know, been around for more than a couple of years who didn't just treat it as a part-time job, mm-hmm. they've got that, you know, they've got that spark. They're, mm. you know, 49% technical and 51% emotional. We can really engage with customers. And that's, sure. you know, Obviously, a quote from Danny Meyer there to mm. really, you know, how do you hire the best people that mm-hmm. can engage your customers the best? Mm-hmm. It's not about, you know, next, next, next. It's, you know, really understanding and engaging them more than just classic customer service. 
I really want to go into that recruitment bit in a minute because you've got such a great experience in recruitment in Australia. But first, actually, it's funny you should talk about Danny Meyer because Danny Meyer with Shake Shack has just um, has just brought in automated tills into some of his Shake Shack restaurants in America. Obviously, McDonald's has had that for a, a couple of years now in Australia. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel that's going to be part of brands moving forward? And if if you do or you don't, like, do you think that's a, a good or a bad thing? Yeah, it's a good question, and I, I mean, the industry has seen a lot of technology come in in the last couple of years. Mm. You know, we've seen more more technology join the hospitality industry, especially in Australia, in the last ten years than mm-hmm. you know ever before. Mm-hmm. So we've gone from pen and pad to you know tills that automate. Uh, you know our inventory management to like remote controlled refrigeration temps mm-hmm. to you know anything you you can imagine you can mm. you can kind of do in technology mm-hmm. and there's you know everyone's slowly starting to become more more tech aware we've got food delivery places yes. you know, Deliveroo, Uber Eats uh, those kind of guys that you can get wine delivered to your door yeah um, you know there's, there's technology everywhere mm-hmm. but bringing it into the restaurant it's it's a little bit of a I guess personally, I've got a bit of a frustration with it as we're trying to, we want the technology to be able to streamline experience, mm-hmm. um, but we still want to be able to maximize that human engagement. Yes. I, I personally don't enjoy going to a restaurant and getting, you know, talking to a computer and taking my orders, <laughs> and I still go to McDonald's and order at the counter instead really? of Really? Interesting. Yeah, instead of those remote pods. Here's an interesting question for you on that. If you didn't have a choice, would you continue to go back to that venue? So if it continued to be, if it was just automated, and no custom, no counter staff to take your order. Would you continue to go back to that venue? It's it's super situational. I mean, McDonald's and you know the QSR space is very much more is more transactional yep. than it is in a casual dining or a sit down dining yep. dining venue. Get McDonald's you. has always played in that re- food retail space. Yeah. Um, but so for McDonald's, a little bit hit and miss. Mm. But you know, if it was a restaurant that only did. Yeah, ordering from an iPad, I would probably probably not go back. Probably not go back. Yeah, it's an interesting insight. Um, let's go back to recruitment because you've got the experience there with Michael Page. Um, what? Uh, obviously, you've done a lot of recruitment internally with inside your own restaurants and cafes and venues that you've worked in. But obviously, with Michael Page, you saw a different side where you're recruiting for a client. What would be so? Therefore, you have to get through a lot of a lot of people, a lot of talent, a lot of people with not not enough talent. Um, what would be three things you would say to hospitality owners in order to cut through people and to hire the right talent within the four walls of their business? I think the first part is being able to be comfortable with yourself and your business okay. and be able to take a step back and I guess fundamentally look at you know where, where, where we're at and what we need. And what the needs are. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of people still in that dreaming phase, uh-huh. which is great yes but when you're trying to hire especially you know i did a lot of senior recruitment for for michael page yes um so you'd be able to take a really analytical approach sometimes you know getting in some outside help to to understand what your needs of the business are from yep. a skill set point of view especially yep. so you know skills obviously comes in at number one yep. um but like absolutely tying with that is you know personality you can't bring someone in who doesn't fit the team. Yeah. So yep. value finding value finding you know brand alignment mm-hmm. is was the the hardest. Yes. Um, but the you know the most fulfilling part about finding recruitment. Okay. In the hospitality space, especially. What did you find the most challenging part about that role? Exactly that. Yeah. Matching matching <laughs> matching brand values or matching values. Yes. And that's you know, that's the decision I've made for all my moves so far in yep. my career is you know finding a company that I find alignment with okay. and 
knowing how how fulfilled how fulfilled I've been in those roles. Yes. And so finding people who have that alignment with other brands yes. was the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. It dovetails so well into my last last one of my last questions for you, Will. Oh, excellent. Which is obviously talking. I want to talk to you about Counter. What you're doing um, currently at the moment with them. Yep. So I know obviously they're a point of sale supplier within Australia and within other countries around the world as well, uh, growing rapidly. But why don't you talk to the common great audience just about what they're about and what logistics are of that business and, and how they're wanting to grow? Yeah, good question. Well, it, you know, definitely coming back that back to that um, value alignment piece. Mm. So one of the core values of counter is being is reducing waste. Mm-hmm. And so that that can you know take a couple of different forms from you know reducing overspend in restaurants from like an inventory point of view or from yeah. a rostering point of view yeah. uh, or even something as simple as you know using tech in like bump screens or yeah. you know, um, yeah. those kind of that kind of technology to reduce paper waste you know it's quite a quite a broad concept um, but something that that aligns really strongly with me we met, we talked about food yeah. waste just before yes um, which is obviously something that I've worked in that space for a couple of years. You know, outside of outside of my professional work as well, and something that's you know pretty pretty well aligned to, to for me. For sure. Um, but I've also been a bit spoiled for choice. So I've worked with uh, McDonald's, Grilled, both companies that are pretty well known with having some good systems to back up their growth. Yeah. McDonald's, you know, a couple thousand sites casually. Mm. Grilled, you know, over a hundred sites themselves in the last uh, you know thirteen years. Mm. So being able to to grow rapidly, they were able to you know implement some systems to make that nice and easy. So. Yep. That's where we are enjoying the work with Counter, being able mm-hmm. to give a single site, mum and pop shop, the same kind of visibility over their business that you'd get if you're paying a million dollars for from mm-hmm. McDonald's point of view, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's where, I guess, my alignment with this industry comes in, trying to make it really easy for businesses to, to make money and be successful. Sure. Because it's not, you know, people, no one goes to an alleyway for one restaurant you know it's a, a collective people yes. go there for the ambience they go for the environment they go for the op- option from you know three or four restaurants more than more than just the one so yeah beautiful trying to drag drag those two uh, environments together is one with counter has it been has it been do you think it's hard for a brand like counter there are obviously a couple who are playing in that space as well with cloud-based systems to get over the line with um owners who who have legacy systems who might have had them for 10 or 15 years and are really looking for an upgrade is it hard to actually get them to do that uh to if, if they if they're wanting to make that upgrade no not at all right. it's, they're, they're, it's pretty easy to to move from a legacy system to to a counter-based system yeah sure i guess that the hardest part is people who are ingrained in the in like the workflows that they've got so you mm-hmm. know you you, you see it all the time with your work. You go into businesses and they're, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And you can see they're struggling. They know they're struggling. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, they, their mindset's stuck in the rut of, I've always done this. So, so I'm always going to do, do this. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're still using a Hopefully pen and paper we'll take orders. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, from a, from a consulting point of view, it's really hard to, mm. to go in and try and offer some help. Yes. Even, you know, one or two helpful comments. And, you know, if it's not, if it's not taken on board, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that's the state of play in this industry. 46% of businesses will fail in the first 12 months. It's not a great stat at all. Not at all. Yeah. So <laughs> being able to try and, you know, give people the opportunity to have something better mm. um, and, you know, supporting them through that um, is, is kind of where my, my particular role comes on board. With okay. okay. Um, but, yeah. All right. Final question, as we do with every Common Ground podcast, is, Will Deegan, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? 
I would definitely say drink less and party harder. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say, like, stay attractive. Or... Yeah. <laughs> the stay is the wrong word. No, I, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in the industry. I never thought I'd spend this long working in hospitality. Yeah, right. I definitely thought it was a part-time job at the start, mm. uh, as everyone did, my gateway to a career. Yes. Uh, but, you know, this industry is rife with absolutely amazing people it's you know i met you yes. you met me yes oh, what more do you need yeah, two amazing um, people yeah exactly but you know you, you meet a lot of amazing people along the way mm. and it is an absolute blast of a time yeah beautiful well Deegan, thank you so much for being on episode eight of common ground thanks very much sean cheers